Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This podcast series explores HR hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life HR learning and OD professionals. The HR Uprising is about learning through collaboration and evidence-based action. We want colleagues to have the confidence and skills to rise up through their organizations by delivering real, lasting business value. Now, introducing your host, chartered psychologist, experienced change agent, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney, and this week, following on from our 25th episode last week, which was talking to Steve Brown about strategy on purpose or as having a purpose as HR, we're going to delve more into being strategic in this week's episode. So it's a solo episode and what we're going to look at is how we can build an HR strategy that's aligned to the business strategy. And I'm going to run through some tools that you may or may not be familiar with that can be incredibly helpful if you are wanting to build a strategy. And the tool particularly I'm going to refer to is something called the Balanced Scorecard, which was developed by Kaplan and Norton, if you want to look this up, and I'll put some links as ever into the show notes if you want to know more about this. And the Balanced Scorecard is a really useful tool. I think they wrote about it in 1992 in the Harvard Business Review, but since then it's been taken up by many organisations to help them be more aligned. And one of the arguments for the Balanced Scorecard, which is essentially identifying metrics that fall into four quadrants, financial, process, customer, and then organisational learning and growth, or sometimes I'd call that people indicators. And what they say is all too often businesses are driven by the balance sheet, the financials, which are very blunt tools. And also they are a lagging indicator. And by a lagging indicator, that means something which tells you what you did last year. So your financial results are based on the way in which you managed your people from an HR point of view for the preceding years. They don't necessarily mean that you're going to get the same result next year. It could be better or worse. So Kaplan and Norton said, by having a balanced scorecard where you were looking at other things like the processes, the ways in which you were managing either your internal or external customers and the way in which the organisation was developing and growing, then you would be also measuring the more um, leading indicators. So things like an engagement survey or a customer um, advocate's measures would be leading indicators because they are showing you what's happening in the business right now. And in principle, that will translate into next year's financial results. So you can have a balanced scorecard. And I've worked for businesses where we had a balanced scorecard as an overall company. And if we were in HR, then we might have contributed to the bit which was about the people, which was the organisational learning and growth aspect. Or you could have your very own HR or L&D scorecard, where you look at all four of those drivers and uh, link into that with regards to your area. And I will go into that and I've got an example of that. Some of what we're going to talk through is reasonably detailed or hard to picture, I suppose, going through because we are on an audio uh, and it's a podcast. So what I will do is we'll put some transcriptions and I'll put some visuals. So if you want to know more about this, I'll send some links in the show notes so you can download Uh, either a blog on that or a paper on that. So I haven't decided because I'm going to write it after we've recorded the podcast. 
So hopefully you'll find it useful. As ever, the HR Uprising is about helping each other to look up, to be more strategic and for us to add more strategic value into our businesses or organisations. So hopefully that's what you'll get out of this. So on the basis that what we want to do is be more strategic, if you like, or to develop a strategy that clearly aligns with the business strategy, of course, the first point that we need to start at is understanding what the business strategy is. Now, I work with many, many organisations and actually sometimes that is easier said than done. So if you're in a position where you want to know what the organisational or business strategy is and you don't know what it is, then clearly what you need to do is go and talk to those guys on the executive team or on the board and ask them and find out what the key drivers are. I would say that if you're in an organisation and you're in HR and you don't know what they are, then that suggests that lots of other people won't know either, which actually means that that's a bigger problem, that the business or organisation needs to communicate or cascade the strategic goals better. We talked about objectives a couple of weeks ago. One of the main things is people need to understand how their role contributes to the strategy. So if that isn't well understood within your organisation, then that's the starting point. I say that it's possible that there actually isn't a business strategy. I've worked with organisations there where there aren't clear goals. They haven't worked them out. Again, in HR, we can help them to define them, whether you facilitate a session or you bring someone in to facilitate a session where they get clarity about what their year or three year or five year strategy is and what the specifics are. So if there isn't one in place, I'd say that's possibly even more important. So we need to make sure that A, there is a business strategy, B, that we understand it and C, that it's well understood throughout the organisation. Once you've got those facts, then think about, well, how HR in our wider sense, so HR, OD, L&D can support that strategy. And it could be making it more specific because we might find that the there is a strategy, but it's a bit generic I facilitated a workshop once where we anonymised everybody's um, strategies and passed them around. And actually, there wasn't an awful lot to tell between them. Very often, a strategy can be very high level and not clearly understood. So what we need to do is make it more specific. So, for example, we might be an engineering firm and we want to be the most successful. We've got a strategy to be the most successful European um, firm in a specific market. So... What we might want to do is think, well, how could HR help with that? So if it's about being most successful, what do we mean by that? Is it about selling the most of a specific product? In which case we need to make sure that we've got salespeople who can who understand the product and can sell it. And also we've got manufacturing who can produce that product and sell it and we can market into that market. It may be that we need to ensure that we've got enough engineers who can support that product Or it might be that we want to expand into a market, in which case we need a research and development department who are innovating and creating in that particular area. All of those aspects relate to people. So whether or not it's recruiting people with the right skills um, or knowledge or the right competencies, if we were recruiting for innovation, so it might be about recruiting the right people, it might be internal development of the right people. Uh, There are different ways and it might be about advancing in careers Um, or training of those people in line with that strategy. So you can see you might have that overall goal of being the most successful engineering firm, but it's only when you translate that into what do we mean by that, that you can make the links to people stuff, which is, of course, where we come in. So once you understand those and start making those people links, I like to then pull that all together into 
Now, Kaplan and Norton talk about a strategy map, which is quite simply putting all the different, it's a bit like a mind map. You put them all on a page, link it to the strategy and put lines between them where you can see what drives what in there. So that's a great way of doing it. Google it. I also like to do it just a strategy on a page where I just think about the strategy and the different chunks that are going to drive that strategy that are within the remit of HR or L&D. And it's useful if you can get it into a page and make it visual because then everyone else in the organisation, you can share that with other people and they understand how it is that when you're asking them to define a specific job spec and you're asking them how it links to it, they understand why you're doing that because it's about linking to the business strategy. Uh, And a visual is a great way to explain it. So we've got our map on a page. We can then think about those deliverables that are going to drive that strategy. So I alluded to some of them earlier. Um, And also it's our processes. So how do we make sure that we've got HR deliverables, which might be recruiting a certain number of people or training a certain number of people by a certain date? and how we can ensure that our uh, recruitment and our performance management processes are all supporting that endpoint. So you can feel almost like we're filtering down and it's becoming more and more specific and it's more into our business as usual, our processes, but we're now joined up because we're making sure that we're recruiting against a certain spec which is supporting the strategy or a timeframe that's in line with the strategy. So we understand why processes are being set up in a certain way It also gives us the opportunity to spot where there are mismatches between our aligned processes um, or clashes where things might be pulling in the wrong way. So it ensures that we can uh, ensure that all of our processes and activities are aligned in the right direction. So then what I would do is I'd start thinking about my HR or my L&D scorecard measures and make sure that they're in place, which are going to support that strategy. You might set targets against those scorecard measures And then once you've got that, you can implement activities against those measures. So it's really all common sense, but it's about starting with that business strategy and connecting, making that connection between the business strategy and the people things that we do, and then turning those into deliverables. So I talked about a balanced scorecard. I'm now going to give you some examples of what uh, could be the sort of things that we put in a balanced scorecard. And I'll discuss them on here. And as I say, I will put a link to them so you can see it more visually uh, if it's something that you wanted to try in your own organisation. Now, I think many of you know that my background in in, uh, corporate world was actually in L&D. So I've got an L&D scorecard that I'm going to refer to first, but I've also got an HR one. So first of all, reminding ourselves of what this balanced scorecard is. As I say, the four quadrants that Kaplan, Kaplan and Norton referred to were financial, So that's where we're going to quantify the financial impact of our area, learning and development or HR, over a specific financial year. So how do we cost or validate the cost that we um, are impacting, whether it's our cost of our department or the cost of the people that we bring in? It's how we can affect the bottom line. That's your traditional measures. I know things like training spend. Uh, Then it's about customer. So in the context of the balanced scorecard, which is internal, I'm thinking of customer in terms of our internal customers, whereas in the organisational balance scorecard, you would probably think of your external customers. But I'm thinking of our internal customers in this context. So how can I measure the breadth and effectiveness of our provision to our key customers and how satisfied they are with that offering? And it's really about how are we enabling them 
to then deliver to our external customers. So it's an indirect effect that our, our department will be having on the overall organisational success. Process, well, we are custodians of many processes, so I think we know what that is. What I'd really challenge us all to do is make sure that the processes that we are measuring, we're measuring the right things. Sometimes it's really easy to measure certain things, but are they bringing us value? Making sure that we're measuring the things that are driving us in the right direction. So you might be measuring things like Bradford factor or absence rates, but is that telling you anything of any use? It does depend on the sort of organisation that you're in. So making sure that the, the data that we're capturing is purposeful and is helping us to be more effective. And then organisational capacity is the fourth area of the balance scorecard. So thinking about how we are future-proofing and aligning our interventions with future business requirements. Do we need any cultural changes? Do we need to develop things further? So that's the four areas. Let's look at some examples. If you're in learning and development, these are the examples that you might come up with in terms of finance. So financial measures might be a percentage change in your learning and development total spend. So you could just measure the total spend, all right? But I would say it's more valuable if you look at the percentage change because with our strategy before, and this is an interesting one actually, if we go back to our engineering firm example, it may be that spending less on L&D, which might be a driver that, uh, you know, a tough driver internally traditionally might be spending less on HR or L&D because that affects the overall financial driver. You know, it's the classic sort of spend less money, save costs. But if we are looking to be the most successful engineering firm and that involves developing people from within to have specific skills that they don't currently have, then actually that isn't going to be the best thing. Arguably, it's maybe about how we spend that L&D. So you might want to look at the percentage of spend on digital versus classroom training or the percentage of spend on key skills that are relevant to the strategy. You might want to make sure that that's what you're measuring. So that's the point I'm trying to make about measure the right things, not just blunt how much do we spend. It's actually what proportion of that money is driving the strategy is a better measure. Then also you might look for a financial one. A classic financial measure which sits in HR is cost of hire or internal recruitment or online hire. And actually you could link those two together because we might be looking to reduce the cost of hire because we are internally upskilling people. So all of those are financial measures that affect the bottom line, but it's about having the measures that are actually strategic. And then if we think about financial measures in relation to HR, again, it could be things like average recruitment or agency spend per hire. Yep, so that was a bit like or on, you know, saving money, the percentage of online hires, saving money there. Could be things like... Uh, Benefit spend, uh, retention rates. So that is actually how much we, that would be like attrition rates, which will directly impact in terms of cost. Uh, another interesting one is things like difference in incentive pay between top and low performers. You could look at if you have um, the facility, I know not everybody does, if you are able to pay for performance, then you could look at how that pay is being allocated and the way in which it's being distributed. Are you rewarding those people with the key skills or are you rewarding people for taking on key skills? Is there a link between the way in which your benefits and your rewards sit with those people that you need to keep in the organisation? Then if we move on to customer, 
which I'm talking about our internal customer. And the sort of measures that you might see here would be things like the percentage of jobs that are filled internally. So these would be more HR and rather than going outside for that. So that would be a sign. Again, I think of HR and L&D working together because it's partly visibility and being willing to develop people for those jobs. And it's partially um, about making sure that you are training people up and um, people have got career aspirations and career plans within an organisation. Engagement scores. So internal employee survey. The engagement score is often seen as a leading indicator of next year's financial results. How many people understand what the organisation's purpose, values, have they got clarity around their objectives? That's a key driver of productivity and performance. If people don't have clarity of their objectives, and that links also to a process goal. So the customer on here is, do people understand their objectives? The process might be whether or not people have got objectives, whether they've got appraisals taking place, whether they're having one-to-ones. So do they understand that? Another one about customer is quite often a metric which is used. Again, it's a kind of old school one, uh, which is the ratio of employees per HR professional. Uh, And I suppose the logic would be the, well, again, finance might want that to be as as high as possible. Uh, It does depend on the type of HR professional that you've got and uh, your ability to support them. So you might think a lower ratio is better in terms of supporting them. It does depend on, on other technologies and things. Linking the customer one into more L&D might be thinking about the extent to which people are taking up the courses or the training or resources that you're providing. You might look across and see what is the equality of provision. So are only certain head office staff taking up um, your, your development opportunities or is it across geographies and demographics? And again, I think engagement links into both of those. Then carrying on on the balance scorecard to process. I'll start with HR again on this one. The sort of processes you might measure, I mentioned one previously, would be things like appraisal rates, but not just appraisal, because we know that actually appraisal doesn't, lots of people are not necessarily doing appraisals anymore. Um, Well, they say they're not, but uh, if you are, then measure it. Is it happening? And what percentage of people are having them? And are they seen as quality, which uh, is is key? But also, are one-to-ones happening? Are those check-ins happening? Have you got visibility of those? Can you measure those? Have people got clear objectives? Those are the sort of process metrics that if you can keep an eye on and drive those, they they will impact on your overall performance as an organisation. Clearly, if you're trying to align, like our engineering example earlier, are those objectives supporting that goal of selling certain products, developing skills in that certain area? Classic process metrics, again, HR, absentee rates, Bradford factors, those are sort of the, the classical ones. If we look at process metrics that we could measure in learning and development, We might think about what is the time taken between a training need being identified to delivering it. So are you able to real time turn around a training need and meet that need within three months or six months or is it an 18 month? So that would be an interesting one because in theory you're upskilling people faster. So could you could you reduce that time? Things like tracking compliance, um, those sort of things are, are processes. So ensuring that people have all got key if you've got certain regulatory requirements to meet, have you got 100% of people with their health and safety or their key uh, roles up to date and visible at all times and their training's been done within a certain specific time frame? 
Other one would be interesting is if you've got something like e-learning is that the extent to which CPD or learning resources are being accessed. So the, you know, you might have a beautiful portfolio of courses, but what is the breadth of people accessing them? How many of them are, are accessed? Uh, and to what extent to, you know, are people using them? Is it just a small pocket of people? Could you have more of them? Or is it the process of actually booking these and identifying them? And then on to the fourth, the final one, which is our organisational capacity. So I'll stay with learning and development examples on this one first. So we might say, what percentage change in skill has taken place in a strategic area? So have we got 78% of engineers with XYZ qualification now and we've moved it to 85%? Or you could look at things like 360 results if you've got specific competencies. So as an organisation, have we benchmarked our capacity in a certain area here and we've raised it to another level? You could also look at the proportion of people's development that's linked to career or strategic goals and things like talent pools. Have you got talent pools in place with associated plans, which again link to those key skills that you're trying to embed and drive in your business? Moving more into HR, we're thinking about things like, are we using our recognition or feedback schemes? What percentage of people, if you've got one, are using those? So again, that might be driving engagement. It shows how, how many people are engaged in providing recognition or feedback. You might want to think about your bench strength. In fact, this would be very relevant for that in terms of your succession planning. So if you've got people in those key strategic roles, have you got a good succession plan for those roles? To what extent people are collaborating or the percentage use of employee suggestion schemes? So these aren't specific to that example that I had earlier, but they're again really good Examples of, of what extent are people learning, growing, sharing information um, and they're engaged in helping and supporting your organisation. So lots of sort of ideas there and I'm sure you can think of your own ideas within your organisation. The key is those are examples of metrics that you can use. I wouldn't say take all of those. What I would say is maybe choose two or maybe three in each of the four areas that you can monitor, but make sure you're monitoring not just the things that you can monitor, you know why you're monitoring them. So just because you might be able to monitor speed of hire and you've always monitored it, why are you doing that? Is that actually giving you what you need? Maybe what you actually want to do is speed of hire of those key roles. So making sure that those metrics that you are tracking, you can see the logic between those and your overall business strategy and it's driving it in the right direction you might find that you're the most strategic person in your entire organisation and starting with you is going to have a real waterfall effect and help everyone to be more aligned. But metrics are a really important way of driving any organisation forward as long as they're the right metrics. Um, and I think that is that is the key because it does, you do notice things like the NHS do get um, government targets may sometimes be seen as driving the wrong behaviours. So we have to ensure that those metrics that we're choosing, make sure you know why you've chosen them and they're driving those right behaviours. So that's it. It's a bit of a meaty one. Uh, I hope it was of use or of interest. If you want to understand more about this, then do get in con contact with me. Uh, all of the contact details, as ever, are uh, um, on the show notes or you can just go to the HR Uprising 
website where we always try and put useful links so you can look at any of the previous podcasts on there we'll put different links and as I say I'm going to write something up on this because it's quite meaty I did it as a presentation originally so I've got some slides and I think it might be something if we could arrange for the slides to be downloadable uh, it might be something that's of use to you so if you haven't already do feel free to um, link in with me join our HR uprising uh, LinkedIn group and communicate with us there we are looking for a handful in over December, we're going to run a slightly different uh, set of HR Uprising podcasts where we're talking to real HR professionals out there, uh, just getting a feel for what, what you're doing in the HR Uprising space. So get in contact with us there if you want to contribute and get involved. And finally, uh, if you are enjoying what we're doing on the HR Uprising, it would be really, really very much appreciated if you were able to give us a rating on iTunes. Um, it's really lovely to have those uh, the, the feedback in that way. So if you haven't already and you're enjoying what we're doing, please do give us, give us that feedback. So ready to sign off. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you found it of interest. And uh, until next week, and next week I am talking, uh, I've got an interview with someone from Belbin next week. Uh, look forward to tuning in again then. So you've been listening to the HR Uprising podcast and my name's Lucinda Carney. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.